I'm Brad. Scott. This is Curiosity. And we're here at She Space with Stephanie Tsuru. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for hosting us. It is my privilege to have you both here, especially on a Monday morning. What a way to start the week. <laughs> this has been like cooking for uh, a little bit now, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been just really excited about coming here and um, spending our time. In fact, I brought my uh, support dope females hat. I feel like I should be wearing <laughs> You should that have that right on. Now. I mean, hello. Yeah. Um, Come on. So I got the we're, t-shirt. We're as, as Brad tees up the first question, yeah. I'll, we I'll both do have a wardrobe support change dope here. female gear um, today. I went with this is this is the day to wear it. Yeah. Which it's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, there's a boutique in Manhattan, uh, Hot Theory, and they have an amazing line of support dope female gear. I, I went with Men of Quality Don't Fear Equality today. Love it. Which equally celebrates my inner passion for all things equality. So that was beautiful. Um, Stephanie, so this space is one of the most magical spaces I've ever oh. been immersed in. And everywhere from the color palette to the naming conventions of the rooms to uh, just the layout and the feng shui. I mean, it is an absolutely just lovable representation of what good looks like and how design should be. And so as we just kind of lean in today, it's like a beautiful metaphor, it seems like, of your own humanity and identity and being. And so I would love to hear a little bit about how did that all get started? Like most things, it's not like you wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do a she space. I'm going to do anything. I mean, it's years, years in the making. I think the fact that I'm a little bit older um, has really assisted in this whole process. So I am 62. We opened actually two years ago this week. Wow. So I was 60. And I think. Happy two year anniversary. I know. So fabulous. Cool. Right. Just went by and just like it careened along. And then here we are two <laughs> years later and it just gets truly gets better every day. So I just took bits and pieces of my life, which has been usually interesting, you know, occasionally monotonous because that's the way life is, but taking all the interesting parts, things that I value, things that I really care about and put them all together along with my daughter-in-law who is the co-founder. And we can talk about that in a little bit. And we ended up with SheSpace. Wow. I love that. It, it is very special. So why do you get out of bed every day? For she space at this point. <laughs> no, actually, I would say I get out of bed every day. I get very excited about new things. And every day I want something new in it. And mm. it's actually so easy here because new things happen every hour inside she space. But what I have never been able to do is, like I said, I really struggle with monotony and sameness. And so I get out of bed every day to see what that day is going to bring that the day before it didn't have. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why, that's what keeps me going. If I got out of bed every day and was like looking for something to do or what's that day going to bring, um, I would be one very unhappy woman. Mm-hmm. So I have no trouble getting out of bed every day because every day is just so jam packed with newness and wonder and uniqueness. And at this point it is because of the women inside she space, because I can literally sit at the desk and just wait for all these fabulous women to come to me. That's amazing. It's full of like, dope females. Yeah, exactly. It is it's extraordinary. Well, extraordinary. And, and like one thing to touch on with that is I, I just think about like I love design. Obviously, it's a huge passion of my life's work and a, a big part of it. And I, I'm always thinking about this ideal of what is within goes without, meaning it comes from within and then it enters into the universe and it manifests into something very real. And it is something that's within our existence, within our Mm -hmm. humanity and our being. And then it's, it's created. And like, this is exactly that. And so just like, so grateful and thankful that you brought something from within your own humanity and your being and shared it with the universe and with the world and with women. Like that is, that's just absolutely amazing. Amazing. And this is a bit of a family affair. It is um, a family affair. Would, would love to hear a bit yes. about kind of how those like, uh, you know, weekend conversations, you know, dinner table conversations mm-hmm. kind of evolved to that initial like jumping off point. So there's so many things to be said about that. So I had the idea and I worked on it. When I say worked on it, I spent my days talking to other women. Like, here's my idea. What do you think about this? 
some people were like, that's fabulous. Never heard of that. Why do you need it? Why would you go there? All these things. But you need all those conversations. So I kind of call it my way of doing market research. So I worked on it for about four months. It is obviously a bigger project than one person can manage and do well. So my daughter-in-law, Katie, was in the middle of transitioning out of corporate America. It had, um, it was at the end of the life cycle for her and she was looking for something new. She had two little girls. This I thought was something that she would enjoy. And to be quite honest, there's some things that she says I don't like to do and she does like to do and she finds joy in them and they usually contain numbers. Um, but she finds she's, she's a mathematics major and she loved it. And so I was like, these are the things that I think you would enjoy that I don't want to do. I want to, you know, I'm more like the visionary, the details need to be done and I want them done and I know what they are, but I don't necessarily want to do those things. So I did have to explain the concept to her as I had to explain the concept to everyone. Cause it really, this was kind of like rolling around in my brain. There wasn't anything. It's like this because there wasn't anything to point to like that. So that's kind of how it came about. We have extremely supportive men in our family. Um, they really just like, what do you want us to do? Do you, do you want us to do anything? Do you not want us to do anything? We, you, know, you, you kind of let us know how that goes. So we, Katie and I work a lot here. I also have two more daughters. Um, one is a writer and one is an educator. So this is constant conversation. At this point, though, we kind of have separated it. So like, at home, we do home things and we have, you know, I have three granddaughters too and three kids, three granddaughters. I have a daughter-in-law, two sons-in-law. So we have like regular life outside of there. And I'm very careful about separating it at certain points. I have these conversations with my husband because he is um, an amazing, he's also an entrepreneur and has been an entrepreneur for 30 years. So we have those business discussions because very likely if there's an issue that has come about, he has been through it. And so that has been lovely. So everyone, and when I say family, it's also extended family, meaning my network of friends. Mm. So SheSpace is really amazing because 33 women built this. Wow. We talk a bit about that. Yes, the, let's talk about the construction that. Yeah, let's and talk all of about the, that. the different contractors mm -hmm. and the sourcing of the furniture mm -hmm. and like. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we had the original idea, um, but. The only way this is as fabulous as it is, is because we let every woman do their thing. Mm. So when you start micromanaging and then you're going to kill the inspiration. So the first thing we doesn't work. I'm not a micromanager. So I let people, I bring in the professionals, I let them do their thing. And my job is to get out of their way and let them do their thing. But if you bring in the right people, you can do that. So you empower people. I think so. I hope wow. so. Yeah. So the first novel, novel concept, right? There. <laughs> right. And In so, action. I mean, um, it is so true though, right? Mm -hmm. Just kind of building on that a little bit. I think that's an important point to like really dial into for a moment because we, we exist in a society that from our most formative years, there's this like natural hierarchical order and structure that we're taught we need to exist within that we need in order to thrive. We need to fit within that mold. And, you know, the spirit of curiosity is like an optimistic rebellion almost of some of that thinking where we challenge the status quo. We need to think differently. And it's creating space for those who won't sit and behave. We'd rather defy the rules and amaze. And we say that very intentionally. And so really like the idea of empowering one another and working together collaboratively is a spirit that needs to be resounded and really like brought in to our mind space so that we think differently and recognize that we all have something really special to bring to the world and to humanity and to society. And the, the fact that again, like you are the living representation of the ideals of manifesting your belief system and bringing your ideals to life, asking questions and turning those questions into an outcome. And then like empowering women to journey alongside you into a movement that you believe in, taking that moment to build momentum and bring that movement to life. I mean, I'd love to just even go a little deeper into that component specifically. That's incredible. So what has actually happened is because these women take great ownership in building out she space, when they walk in the door, they feel this is their space. Yes. Um, and as do the women that actually 
work out of here. I mean, it's very funny because the women that work out of here, they do their own. They like they're basically now tour guides. They just do their own thing. It's really fun for me just to listen yes. and see what their spin is on on how they use the space. reason in their why yes. for being here. So yeah. what I finally, and this has been a very recent um, discovery, is that I think really all we have done is provided the space. Mm. And I think it's only limited by the women's creativity and inspiration that are in here. Every day they think of something that I haven't thought of. So when it comes down to it, we have just given them a little ecosystem and then they do with it what they wish. And that is why it's so amazing. You can see it in action here as we kind of walk around the space and have gotten the opportunity to tour the, the, the names of the rooms, the color palette, the furniture, all of that is very mm -hmm. deliberate. Very intentional. Can you They're talk about a couple of your favorite kind of features of of the space that you've kind of put your well naming the na naming the meeting rooms so we have meeting rooms um what, what room are we in right now we are in the podcast studio and okay do, do you know who this is well that's why i was asking because that's yeah, this what i want malala's room okay um Amazing. because bringing the voice bringing the mm. voice and um not restricting the voice and standing up for what you believe in so we are very careful when we do when we um people book the podcast studio is that we have a disclaimer like what they are willing they're they are able to say whatever they wish doesn't mean we we believe in what that's going on but we're not going to restrict what is being said um, in this room yeah i love that so naming the rooms actually was hard because there's a lot of women that deserve to have rooms named after them. And we don't have mm. an endless supply of rooms. So we tried to go through. So is that the goal eventually? She space is so big that every like yeah. rock star woman on yeah, the planet gets a name. We would have to have. Millions of rooms <laughs> right? We would world. have to have. I love this. City, Billions. City blocks. City blocks. We'd have yes. to have cities of rooms. Maybe that's an evolution is so, you partner with Houston and we just start renaming streets to yeah. dope <laughs> females. Yeah. So, um, that was actually the hardest part. I mean, it was fun, and I wanted everyone to agree. There's some that are easy, like RBG. That was pretty. Obvious. That was and pre the pin that you're wearing and today. The pin that I, gorgeous. I very so everyone. I'm wearing like a RBG brooch, and she's sparkly and glittery. And I often need her on Mondays. I yes. didn't need her today because I was so excited about this podcast. That <laughs> there's some Mondays I just need her, That's so special. she's kind mm -hmm. of a regular on Monday mornings. So she was kind of a shoe in, but we did want to visit other segments of society. So yeah. we have the Ida B. Wells, and she is oh. at the very front. So everyone that comes to the doors has to walk by Ida B. Wells, and very, very frequently I ask and inquire if they know who Ida Wells. is. Ida B. Wells is and what she's done and her significance. And um, about 50% of the time, it's no. So I use it as a teaching opportunity. Could you share a little bit about Ida B. Wells? Yes, please. Yes. So Ida B. Wells, I think, is the most under-recognized woman and under-acknowledged um, woman in American history at the moment. So like many of the women in here, she did a lot of things. So when I say many of the women in here, not only the women that... Um, rooms are named after, but the women inside she's based, and we can talk about that. I don't know of a single woman in here just doing one thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like a laundry list of things. And then as they are walking out the door after they've told me the first 12 things they're doing, they go, oh yeah, and I'm writing a book. Or yes. <laughs> it never fails. It it's never incredible. fails. And it's like, there's so many things they don't even have time to, to, to list them all. So Ida B. Wells was kind of that person. So she was the first black female journalist. Wow. In a time that. That's amazing. So think about what a journalist what does. It's the voice. This? It's like yes. early 1900s. Okay. So think about what even females fighting for their voice and for the voices to be heard, let alone a black female. So yes. that is extraordinary. Yes. Um, and then she joined into the suffragette movement um, again. So you, when you look at the pictures and you hear about it, you only hear about white women. Mm. So she was brave. She was. Um, on the, the vanguard movement mm. of black women. Um, she was one of the very first businesswomen. We don't hear a lot about her. And even when I bring in, we have a lot of youth that come through here. Mm. Um, and I use that as a big teaching moment. And even some of the young um, black girls in here do not know who Ida B. Wells is, which means we need to work on our history. I was about to say, sounds like we need to have and it's, some kind of a spark. It, 
for Ida B. Wells. And so, it's not yeah. just young women. There's like women of all ages, yeah. um, which is really disappointing to me. But anyway, so she gets the the marquee billing inside yes. she's space. And so we talk about her a lot. It's but, incredible. So um, we could do an entire episode, I think, on the history of each rock star mm -hmm. woman. Indeed. Uh, mm -hmm. Double click into I mean, that's, that background wow. history. Because it otherwise, you know, over time. Well, and we need those, that voice and that echo to be mm -hmm. shared so that we can all learn mm -hmm. who Ida B. Wells is and those, she those is, many others. Yes. So in other parts of the country, especially she, she is, was a Northeastern um, product. And so she is more well-known there. Okay. But again, we could talk about her all day long. But I did in all my research and I put together like a list of names and like, and she was the one that I really pushed for. But even in my discussion with people, they didn't know who she was. So I had to explain yeah. um, a lot about that. So you've got um, a lot of great up and coming entrepreneurial women coming through this space. You've created this mm -hmm. community, this gravitational pull. Mm -hmm. um, can you share just a few examples of kind of what's, what's churning here and what uh, some of these women are creating and what they're working on? Do you have like a month or a year? So I'd, I'd love to, I, I feel like we need to, I, I'm, I'm always like, thinking about the show notes and like yes. what we could be adding. Cause definitely like the stuff that's happening in she space, but like, you know, some women are working on things that are like, they're they're Maybe it's like under the radar right now. Like they're not necessarily ready to launch, but like there's some that are like scaling, moving, like they so want that. Let me just that give you a publicity. few examples that stick out to me because yeah. I mean, we have hundreds of women in here and that pass through here. So, I mean, we have women that come every day to their offices. So we have 25 offices. So th those women are here regularly. They're their office, they office here. Then we have like desks. So those women, um, they have their own desk space. So again, they come very frequently. They either a lot of the women that are at desks really don't want to be, and I'm going to say it, locked in an office. They like, they kind of like the hubbub and the happy chaos. So they yes. work from, they have their own dedicated desk. Yeah. So I see those women a lot. And then we have like the, the traditional co-working community space area where women are coming and going and the hot desk, floating desk thing. So any given day, you're going to have a different group of people in yeah. there. There's a few regulars, but generally... There was just a lot of people floating through. So we have, you know, the other thing that really has come to light is I think during the pandemic that women finally had a chance to maybe have a little bit of more quiet time and not time sitting in their car driving back and forth. And so those ideas that they had been ruminating over for the last who knows how long, yes. they finally got to build out those ideas. We have a lot of women that transitioned out of um, positions that they, that may not have been fulfilling. We'll just go with that. Yeah. I and mean, the great resignation was a thing for And a it reason. is a thing. And, you know, I agree with you. I think a big part of it was humanity finally had a pause. <sighs> And society had a pause and the noise quieted. And I think we heard our own inner voices, maybe for the first time ever. And we started to think for ourselves. We started to, and that's why I talk so much about challenging the status quo, thinking differently, like push the boundaries of our own orthodoxies. And I, I think instead of sitting in traffic, we turned on ways and said, let's, let's see if there's another route that I want to be on. And it's okay if you don't. But just deciding for ourselves, what is the path that we want? What is the life that we want to build? And then go and create that, bring she space into existence. Yeah, so that's interesting, the, the ways metaphor. So, like, I think, honestly, people tapped into their own internal, like, own yes. internal. What's my final destination? Do I want to be going here? No, I don't think I do. I think I want to change my path, and I think I'm going to go here. But, again... We're over busy. We know we are all over busy. We don't have margins. And that was such, I mean, as awful as it was, yes. it was like forced serenity. Yeah. Um, but if you would embrace it and, and just become one with it, yeah. some wonderful things happened to that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to use the first example is the opera singer. Yeah. So she's actually an opera singer. Amazing. I wish I could sing anything. <laughs> she thought, well, of course, during the pandemic, they, no one's performing. Oh, yeah. So if this woman wow. has an entrepreneurial thought at all, she's like, well, probably one, I need some income coming in, but maybe two, I want maybe there's something else I want to do. So she now has her business where she goes into people's homes, dinner parties, gatherings, and sings with them. Oh, wow. Wow. Cool. I mean, that's just one example. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. 
and to take, so I, I meditate probably every morning, hopefully every morning, sometimes not. This is a very long way of getting to my point. But currently I'm going through a book called 100 Days to Brave. And in one of the excerpts um, about three days ago, it was talking about your why or your calling or your big ambition, right? Pick your favorite synonym. And it said, we have one like why, one call, one big ambition. We have multiple expressions of that narrative. And it just like, it was such a beautiful way to think about it because I'm very passionate about I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. I love the whole concept of start with why, then get to how, then get to what. And that like ideal of the why and that calling and that big ambition. And I'm like, there's only one. And just hearing someone else echo, it just made me feel a little less sane, a little less insane, which was beautiful because I might look at like I'm crazy. And so every now and then it's nice when other humans like, oh yeah, totally feel you on that. But that idea of multiple expressions and, you know, kind of what you said earlier, it sounds like the women in here, like, like really exist within that rhythm of this ideal of they, their why is very strong and they have so many expressions of that why. Like, and that is a beautiful example of what multiple expressions look like of your gifts and your talents and your passions and all, converging all those things together. That's just so cool. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I want to take a sharp pivot and ask like Stephanie, I want to go back in time. Yes, come like, on, let's do it. Are we it. talking like, about steel toe boots? Because I want to talk about. Steel oh, I do. Boots. I wanna, We're going to get not. to steel toe boots, don't you? I should have worn some steel toe boots today. Did Did you wear yours? I did not. Oh, so okay. So TV. So to come is steel toe boot society. We're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We're going to pop back to hard pivot. I love where you're going with this. Just freaking take I, it there. I just bring I, it. I love origin story kinds yes. of things. And so we've talked a bunch about she space. Awesome stuff. Things are happening, but like you weren't always in the co-working world. You weren't no always was, in the entrepreneurial kind me. of space. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so like, I just, I, we're going to get to the depth <laughs> under the ice cap of your humanity right yeah, now. Like Stephanie, like just take us like, what is like the first like moment as a little girl, like that you started to see. And now that you've uh, had this lived experience and are working with these young entrepreneurs, et cetera, mm -hmm. that is starting to kind of come forward in your mind of like, didn't realize it at the moment, but like this, this experience or this interaction or this phrase or this mm -hmm. opportunity has helped to kind of fuel some of the things that you're solving for through life. And now in the expression of she space today, but it would just love it. I don't, and putting you on the spot a little bit mm -hmm. is just sort of like, if there's a, uh, an experience or a story that you feel like that helps to kind of shape how you, your lens of the world and why you're solving for the things that you're solving. I think I was very lucky because I had role models, but I didn't know they're role models because I just think they're my family. You know, mm. when you're growing up, you don't go, oh, wow, she's a great role model. She was my grandmother. So I, when, when I was 10, my grandfather passed away, and they had a small, small by today's standards, farm in rural North Missouri. Mm. So what does, what, does a, what does a woman do that is left with a farm in a farming operation and cattle to run and hogs and, and crops to, and haying to be done. So what, what does she do? So she stayed mm. and ran the farm and, you know, got on the tractor and got in the pickup truck and, yes. and did the chores and threw the hay bales. And, you know, we all lugged buckets of feed and grain. And I truly thought that's just what, you know, when you present a problem, you just solve it and you just do what you have to do. I didn't realize how unusual that was until I got much older. My mother went back to school back in the days when, I, don't, I mean, I think it was probably a thing, but I didn't know anybody that did that. So she went back to get her master's when I was like in middle school. And so what do we learn to do? Everybody learns to do, you know, their laundry and we're cooking. I mean, that we just did that, but yeah. that wouldn't be unusual now. It was a little bit unusual it's in, amazing. The, in the early 70s. What part of the country did you grow up in? I grew up in Missouri. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, um, and then something, I think, I no, I don't think. I know I've always been different and I knew that from an early age. And that isn't necessarily wonderful when you're 10 nope. or 8. And when you're or even 39. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I am very comfortable with it. But you're, it's not wonderful when you're in elementary school. It's not. No, I, when you think like my best, <laughs> my best friend is like a book. I mean, that is not necessarily fabulous. And yeah. so on the weekends, we would be in rural America. Mm. 
And then in, this is something we actually talked about this morning. So this is where I probably was the most confused young woman in the world. So, you mm -hmm. know, doing coveralls and weekend chores on uh, chores on the weekend. And then during the week, I was actually in a very accelerated program for classical dance, which is ballet. Mm -hmm. So Whoa. I would pivot from toe shoes, literally, a few days later, be in coveralls. So none of this is normal. Now, was this early days of steel toe boots society? No, well, no, steel toe boots society. I would imagine this where a lot of this I've, was being formed. I feel like that was, it just kind of happened. Yeah. There was some serendipity toe there. Toe shoes to steel toe shoes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So again, the, where I lived, I lived in a, a rural suburban, suburbia slash rural area in Missouri. But I mean, none of this is popular or normal. Yeah. So like on the weekends when everybody, they're doing their things, we would go and help out at the farm and work at the farm. And then during the week I would dance. As I got older and progressed, I had to switch more to dancing because you would I'd be dancing like, what, five, six hours a day. Yep. Um, and then I ended up with the Kansas City Ballet. But talk about wow. an identity crisis. Like, am I supposed to be in toe shoes or am I supposed to be in like these boots? I don't know. Both. I, yes, but <laughs> yep. that's not normal. It's not like neither one of those things fit into the juxtaposition yeah. to, of those right, things. Yeah. To normal. And so really, what did I do? I kind of found solace in books yes. in academics. Oh, it's beautiful. So it, not as beautiful then though, right? Now it yeah. sounds fab. I mean, when you're going through it. Yeah. That seems like it's most moments though. Uh -huh. And not always, but at least in my lived experiences, mm -hmm. I, I reflect and I'm so grateful and thankful for certain moments mm -hmm. in the moment. Like, you know, deep down inside, there's kind of this, like, this, this value to it, mm -hmm. this purpose, this intent, and but I going have, through it. Yes. And like, I've always been so value driven, so in, intentional. I am not a free floater. Um, I am very adventurous, but it is probably a planned adventure. Like, I mean, and wherever that takes me, that's wonderful. Hey, this is something else we need to talk okay. about. So my mother yes. and father, again, rural Missouri, they, when they they were the generation that got married when they were like 21, 22, met on the school bus when they were like 14. Amazing. It's one of those stories. Amazing. Um, graduated from college. My dad, that was at the time where like you picked a branch of the military to go in. So my dad was in the Air Force. And this is again, things that I kind of thought was normal. So this little, this little couple from rural Missouri, where do they go into the military? Morocco. <laughs> they pick yes. Morocco in 1958. Wow. So again, a little bit different way of thinking. And so again, I think these are the things that I just kind of, I absorbed and I thought this is just what you do, but this is not what you do. But it didn't scare me because I had seen all these people doing all these things. And that is where people always say, aren't you afraid I I'm sure I am on some level, but I don't ever feel it. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that seems to have, because you got to go with them as well at certain points? I was or? born, well, I was born in France. Okay. So they left Morocco. Yeah. They went to Paris. They yeah. lived all over and I was born in France. And then at school age, they, they came back to the United States. Okay. I'm still bitter about that because yeah. I feel like they could have stayed. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I've been holding a grudge that, for 55 years. Yeah. But. I mean, we can um, talk through it now and we can like, you know, if you, if beyond, you want to let it go. It's beyond being solved. Okay. Okay. Got it. So it's just going to, it's just going to become a part of your identity it's now. Mm -hmm. so, you know, sometimes it's good to have those. My mom was, uh, my grandfather was in the air force as well. Mm. And he was retired air force. And so like she got to live around the world in different places. And I'm always just so amazed by it. I mean, my grandmother's from the UK. They, they met post-World War II and have this beautiful love story. He was a baseball player and was teaching the Brits baseball oh. and won her over with a box of Hershey's chocolates because she had never had chocolate because oh um, everything was rationed still. And That's then great they moved here mm -hmm. to the States. And the, the long version is really beautiful too. They had an amazing marriage. He had cancer nine times um, and oh eventually passed away much later in life, had one lung. He's like one of my heroes and always had the most positive attitude. But I, I think about it from my mom's lens a lot of times, like, man, just the exposure that you had at that early formative age and years that had to shape some of your identity sure as well. It, and if we're still at like, you know, tiny little Stephanie moment, um, like, yeah, can we lean into that a little bit more? Like going, like going and getting to experience some of the world at such a young age, like that, that had to have such an impact minus the bitterness of coming back <laughs> or maybe plus the benefit. The well, it's such like an interesting, like 
convergence of different viewpoints and perspectives mm. and the expression that you chose academics and ballet um what else like as you sort of progressed through working like dancing with the kansas city mm -hmm. ballet mm -hmm. were those performances sort of there locally were how where did sort of that uh, well it, that you know, it's a small town market so i mean when we would go travel it would be like we're going to milwaukee or you know i mean so like sure. i am now part of the i i shouldn't say part I support the Houston Ballet. Mm -hmm. That is a yes. whole next level world, top of the world premier dance company. And we have dancers from all over the world. So I, I actually would, just learned it's like one of the best mm -hmm. companies in the world. In the world. So yeah. I'm not saying it's that. Incredible. I, yeah. It's not like, hyperbole. No, like, you just came like, off true. of a trip. Like literally in Tokyo with the <laughs> Houston yes, Ballet performing there. I just traveled to there. Tokyo with the Houston Ballet um, we talk about why that's such like a unique thing because Japanese are, are very particular about their ballet. They're very particular oh, about so their ballet because they're very knowledgeable about it. And so these invitations are not something that they do lightly. There's oh, okay. a lot of investigation. This was a 10 year project in the making. Wow. And of course, a couple of the years. What? Okay, yeah. hold on. We need to, let's this just get That's another, I'm, I'm, I'm that's another whole, so excited I, I right now. I want us to like get to. Which is how we met when we is. were, yes. What? So. Yeah. <laughs> I am learning so much today. Who's on the show? <laughs> who's, who's interviewing you? <laughs> okay. How did y'all meet? There's always an ace up our sleeve here. Yeah, um, clearly. Because no, that's such like an incredible, because this is something, this is an arch from like, your youngest days mm -hmm. in expressing yourself mm -hmm. through ballet mm -hmm. to being in, in Tokyo just a handful of weeks ago mm -hmm. to see uh, it was a pinch me, it was a pinch <laughs> me moment to just like yeah. be in that theater and that, wow. that with that performance. Wow. And so I just, uh, we got there very quickly, but I just like, I'd love to just kind of understand like how, how you've kept ballet in your life. You know, my, my wife was a ballet dancer. She won national championships for, for dance and other things. That's and so amazing. she taught ballet for a while, but like over time, she was like a, a, a math educator and just kind of got away from, from dance. Mm -hmm. You've kept ballet kind of in, in the mix of things. Is that something that was kind of a, a long pause? Was there always sort of like a thread of ballet that you've kind of kept? In so your life? as, as I have moved around the country, so I've moved in many different parts of the country, and we lived in um, Durango, Colorado for many, mm. many years. So not a lot of classical ballet. Yeah, I'd so imagine I, not a lot. Not a lot. Beautiful I mean, and scenery. Lovely things there to do, yeah. but it, they would be more along the lines of mountain biking, hiking, and skiing, and not yeah. necessarily classical dance. So I would say there was a big chunk of my life when I was not involved because there was no involvement to be had. Mm. But when I came back, to, or I shouldn't say come back to Houston, when we moved to Houston, um, I was so thrilled that I could kind of like nourish my, my cultural side, which is a big part of my upbringing. Mm. And I had no idea. But even in the last 10 years, because Stanton Welsh, the artistic director, and Jim Nelson, the executive director, they're so talented and they both have dance backgrounds themselves, have really brought the Houston Ballet, this is like an infomercial, has brought <laughs> the Houston Ballet to a whole nother level. But what I want to say is sitting in the audience in Tokyo, watching the Houston Ballet perform, and one of our principal dancers is Japanese. So that was really, really amazing. Oh, it's so, incredible. And they performed Swan Lake. Yes, Swan wow. Lake, which is their most extravagant and longest um, show that they do. Um, so it was a big undertaking. It was marvelous. So, you know, I'm always fascinated by the ballet. Sky and I had season tickets at, at one point in time. And then I think pandemic just kind of, yes. we cut many of those during that time. And we've seen the Nutcracker a number of times and other just beautiful productions at the Houston Ballet. I'm always fascinated by how a human being body tells a story. I mean, it is storytelling through the movement and the kinetic energy of a human. Mm -hmm. That to me just constantly wows me. And I mean, you know, to be, to be fair, I, I grew up in a you know, relatively small town in Texas, about 35 minutes Southeast of here called Dickinson and had horses and, you know, there were cattle out there and 
played baseball and football and getting to the beach was a big deal, let alone coming into the city. Sure. So I wasn't exposed to that. I think we went to the Nutcracker one time as a child and I'm pretty sure I was eight. I was really excited about, cause I love fashion. I was excited about my suit that night, but I think I was asleep. <laughs> I think I was asleep before we even got to intermission. And uh, I remember going Fair. to Macaroni Grill. That was exciting. You know, big city stuff. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was incredible. And then that was kind of my last exposure until a few years ago. And so I've kind of had to like learn about this and I, I'm very curious. So I was very excited to learn about it, but it was, it was very recently when I kind of had my first aha moment. It was like with art. I was like, I get why people love this painting so much or that painting because it captured a story in a time period before we had the iPhone 14 Pro Max with the sophisticated camera. Got it. Check. My, my, my brain's there now. But ballet, I was like, I still remember sitting there and being like, oh, oh. that's the magic because I, I mean i appreciate it i thought it was beautiful but i didn't really get it and now mm -hmm. i'm like oh we're telling a story mm -hmm. without words using music and body mm -hmm. that is fascinating so can you share a little bit more about that because that's my like very novice understanding of it and i'd love a more sophisticated human to share some some so that. storytelling yes yeah, so there's the classic stories that we know about swan lake cinderella um, we did Mary Poppins, things like that for the, the more current thing. But what I, I enjoy the most, it's the choreography. So it's the choreography that's telling the stories and it's the dancers that make the choreography come to life. You already said it's so much better. Yes, thank so, you. <laughs> so you can take a, a, a piece that no one has ever seen before because really it, it is what has been in a choreographer's mind and an imagination and it is transformed and it comes to life through the dancers' movements. So it is their story. And I really like the original pieces the best. Mm. And our family has become involved in um, supporting new works of choreography. And it, to date, it has been through the, the dancers at the Houston Ballet. So these are dancers, not all of them, but dance, most of them have a lot of experience. The, this is only an art that, this is not like painting. You're, there, is a, there is an end to what your body can do well as far as performing. Oh, yeah. So there is an end to a dancer's life. So what comes next often is, if they're interested, choreography. So our family has been wow. supporting the choreographers and I have been pushing from the beginning to where are the females? Yes. Well, they were there and they yes. are there. So, so we supported a major work last year of a female. Um, but speaking of equality, it goes both ways because it used to be that there were not a lot of males represented in dance okay. and there sure. needed to be a push. I will tell you that the Houston Ballet has equal men and women of talent. Yeah. Well, and there's such a very, stigma in society culturally about what's acceptable. It's very unusual. Yeah. And um, we have amazing male dancers. At the it's UCLA. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's one thing I wish that as a society, and I, and I hope that some of those stigmas we can debunk. I mean, you said it really well. That's the beauty of equality. It's not mm -hmm. a like one-sided narrative. It really no. is about no. balance and equality and elevating together mm -hmm. as humanity and as society. And yeah, in order to do that, there are very important moments where we need to focus on a specific group or population. In this case, female population, you know, in other mm -hmm. scenarios, mm -hmm. like when we think about it racially, there's a huge factor there that we need to be mindful of because I will often hear people make comments and the, my response is always like, we some, sometimes we have to invest more in certain humans' lives than others because there's a need in this moment to elevate to, in order to create equality. And that's a messy journey. That's not simple and easy. And so I love that you shared it kind of from even like a ballet lens. It's, it's you everywhere. Can, it, you, it does, you can look anywhere and find it. Yes. Um, there, this is another example I want to talk about. There's a lovely woman in here. She's actually a veterinarian. And so we have a lot of people that work in clinics, um, can be medical care or veterinary care, um, but they come in here, well, mostly they say to hide because no <laughs> one knows where they are and they can get their stuff done quickly. And they love being- And the building's locked down, so they're safe. And they love being around different people. I mean, people from different industries. So oh, they're cool. always around people in veterinary medicine or in cardiology or whatever happens to be. So one of our women, and she's been a supporter from a very early very early days of she space, she was in here as she built out her own veterinary clinic. Well, she and her partner are both black women. Both of them. That's amazing. Um, so oh. 
that's amazing story in itself. So, so their practice. They opened their practice yeah. and the, the two founders are yes. black women. God, but that's incredible. what she also is doing on the side, this is what I'm saying. Everybody in here is doing like 15 things. Yeah. Um, Multiple expressions. And it's so beautiful. So it runs a nonprofit to encourage young girls of color to go into veterinary medicine yes. because it's about, it's less than 1%. Whoa. Wow. Now, is that U.S.? Is that global? That's or? U.S. Okay. U.S. That's So incredible. again, this is something that. Deliberately um, investing in that yes, group and it, early like, enough. So we could talk we could about, create. I don't know anything about veterinary medicine, but that Drip is something if we wanted to, we could talk about it all day long and the need for equality within it. Yes. So 1%. Just pick something and we can talk about the need for equality in it. Does not matter. Yeah. It, it's needed everywhere. But I think I also want to point out, since I have my arm. RBG pin on is that people don't realize that she fought just as hard for men as she did yes. for women. Her, yes. her, her, her platform was equality. Yep. Just, you mm -hmm. know, throwing it out there. So can we talk about uh, <laughs> your, your idea of steel toe boots society? Cause I want to make sure I was trying to wait, we've but got, thank you. <laughs> we're, you know, we've got a few minutes left. Okay. I want to make sure that well, we, it's uh, something that came about when we were having our initial conversation about like just, just curiosity. And I have, I, when I was uh, graduated from high school, when I was 17, uh, the next day went to work in a steel mill, which you, we have all talked about. Uh, the three of us have yes. talked about it is some, it's a rarely known fact. Uh, I just didn't talk about it. I wasn't ashamed of it. It just doesn't often come up in conversation. It's not every day you just kick off with. Right. <laughs> Spend some time in the so steel mill. I yeah. went. Um, <laughs> Hanging out. That is how I was able to pay my way through school. Wow. Um, Wait, that's incredible. So you're like fuel for your education was a still That's mill. how I did it. So that's like when fascinating. Other, when, uh, there's nothing wrong with scooping ice cream. That's I true. made it. Heck of a lot more money yep. working in the steel mill, yep. in my steel toed boots, with my heart out, in yes. my safety glasses, in my heat resistant gloves. And well, when I growing up on the farm, why would you not? It, it, it go never do that? even seemed weird to me. Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah. it never it's even it's, seemed it's weird to me. It's and badass I, is what it is. <laughs> I worked. Um, um, I worked as the, they, um, the number two. Uh, I worked in something called the number two rod mill. So as the heat, they look like you know, two ton slinkies, truly mm -hmm. that they look just like slinkies. They would come out of the furnace on these moving hooks that we would think like maybe like meat hooks, like sure. as they come like wow. enormous, all that enormous. And my job was to take these very uh, industrial shears that could very easily snap off a finger, but to grab the front of the coil and to snap off like 12 or, you know, 14 inches from the front and the back and then run them to the metallurgist who would test like tensile mm. strength and all these things. Wow. That was my job. So coming out of the furnace, very, very, very hot. Wow. Um, and the buildings were all open, but still very, very, very hot. And so when they were running a batch that was extremely hot, we would only be allowed to work like an hour on and an hour off just because it was so. Mm. I mean- like you would go outside in a 105 day to cool off. Yeah. That's how hot it was Whoa. inside. Um, but what I learned from that, it was the most interesting people. I didn't want to do this for my life. Um, and we talked about this. This was back in the days before phones, before computers, before laptops. I mean, laptops or tablets, anything. So what do you do? And it was me and a bunch of old men. Uh, well, not old. I was 17. So they could have been 30, but yeah. older than me. Yeah. Yeah. They were lovely to me, very protective. It was yeah, very interesting. So what do you do? Well, you can only talk so long in what we would read, <laughs> which is great for me. But these salty creatures that you think probably couldn't string two words together were the, among the best well-read people I've ever been in my, wow. around in my High life. literacy rate but, in the still mill. Yeah. And we would have Love word that. contests because we had a dictionary and we would- Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is who it's knew another, what was happening to the still mill. I love like, the picture that's being painted. I know it's, it's really not awesome. like that I feel now. Like there's like tea. And there's some sure. crumpets. And a lot just, more automation. You're a lot well, more. Well, no, in the break room. Oh sure. What are they doing? They're looking oh, at their phone. So right. that's what's oh, got to be different Sudoku. now. Hmm. Don't you know that? I mean, they're looking like I'm watching this movie and right. Yeah, they're so all in their own. Yeah. Kind of headspace. So that's where the steel toed boots came from. And what came up in our conversation is I had recently run into two other women. Yep. Um, one who has a very um, 
prestigious role in the city who did wear steel-toed boots. And I kiddingly said, I'm going to start a steel-toed boot society so I'm on the hunt. And I told you the next thing I want to learn to do is weld. Yeah. And I think I can wear steel-toed boots again. You absolutely will wear steel-toed mm -hmm. boots doing that. And so this is a call for all <laughs> dope females out there who have Spend worn steel-toed boots in their lifetime. You're going to reach out to Stephanie and she's space mm -hmm. and join the steel-toed boot society. There's so, an opportunity let's for go. a quick crossover. Um, I will introduce you to Takia Green, if I haven't already. Uh, she worked in petrochemical plant here in town and was a cheerleader for the Houston Texans while doing that. Okay, no, and that's good. This just feels in, right. And like now just, in investment banking. We have ballet so, and mm -hmm. steel-toed boots. Mm -hmm. We have cheerleading and steel-toed boots. That's good. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's some really so cool like, things to come out. Like really great athlete wearing steel-toed boots, maybe at the same time. Like yep. it could be that factor. So one thing that I, I was thinking a lot about is as you were talking about cutting these 12 to 14 inch pieces of steel is, and the correlation to ballet, because naturally those two should converge, is this kind of idea of precision. Because as a ballerina, like you are taught, I mean, it is all about storytelling and precision and how you bring those two things out of your own being and share that with the universe, like SheSpace. How has precision played a role in your journey? That's a question. <laughs> That's a good question to end that on. That is Let's a great dig, question dig at any time, especially to end on, and I want to get it right. How has, I think it's very important. Um, I think it's very important, but I think it has its place and you cannot let precision dominate what you're trying to do. Oh, Okay. Because then you lose creativity, uh -huh. you lose mobility and fluidity. I think it, I think the idea, I might have to re, I, I might have to rework that. I'm not sure how much role precision actually has. It's kind of interesting because when you uh, think like ballet, you're, the yeah. precision is based on okay, the choreog choreographer's vision and the execution as a dancer. Ballet. Versus building. Okay. So a dancer's the bottom half, obviously, is where you're doing your steps, and it's very precise, but the top half is all, all artistic. Mm. Okay. Right? So That's the foundation you, is precision. Yeah, so, like, I mean, yeah, so I think we maybe we'll go with that. I think the foundation has to be precise. And then, like, the sandbox is a space for, or the precision is the sandbox, and creativity is the sand within the sandbox. I think, I Possibly. think if everything is too precise, yeah. you're you're severely limiting mm -hmm. yourself and you're severely limiting the project. I think if things don't have any structure, you're not going to get very far. So I think it has to be a combination. I love that. The, the intersection of precision and creativity mm -hmm. in the form wow. of ballerina, like what that kind of means. So, I mean, I think you wake like. up in the day and you have a general framework. I mean, there's some precision to it because, oh. you know, I have to have to find my keys and I have to get in the car and I have to, drive precisely to this location, but what's going to happen when I get there, I'm not really sure I ever know. Mm -hmm. And I'm open best. to whatever happens. Yeah. Well, and when we opened the episode, you talked mm -hmm. a lot about that idea of what gets you out of bed every day is mm -hmm. new, is the new, a new moment so is the unknown. And I mean, at times that can also be very uncomfortable. We talked about this a little bit on the last episode. We had a fashion designer um, in the brand is Lonnie, L-L-A-N-I. She's from Philadelphia and came in to be on the show just last week, actually, and did a few pop-up shops here in the city. And one of the things we talked about with creativity is this kind of idea of the unknown. And we were talking about it from the lens of traveling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you feel this way, but you know, there's anxiety right before you travel somewhere new that you haven't been before because there's a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of unknown. And so that idea of having this kind of like precision as a familiarity can play, I think, a valuable role in planning, you know, kind of, as you said, like you're adventurous, but you're planning that adventure and planning that kind of journey, but also allowing for the freedom and the flexibility for it to be a serendipitous, beautiful experience. I don't think the unknown is frightening to me. Awesome. I, 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 I'm really, I mean, being yeah. completely honest, I don't think the unknown is frightening to me. I mean, I do like structure. I mean, I like to know I have a home to go home to and yeah. a level, you know, I like that. Um, I think maybe I have always been fortunate enough to have those those roots mm -hmm. that so maybe I can say that because I I don't I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Yeah. So I mean maybe if I 
through a different lens, mm-hmm. there is too much unknown. But yeah. in my life, there has been just the right amount of unknown. Yeah, well, like all things, right? Equality, yeah. balance. Like so there's, I'm a, there's thinking value in the balance. People could be listening to this and they're probably thinking, well, she doesn't, she's never had that kind of unknown. Like she hasn't woken up and not had a job. And how am I going to feed my family? So I am accepting the fact that in my life I've had a comfortable amount of unknown, but not, I think it could be terrifying at the same time. Yeah. So like almost like what Mm -hmm. needs to be true in order for the unknown to be exciting and thrilling rather than terrifying and fearful. Maybe that's an ambition that we can all work Yeah, I think there's a division. I think there's a division there that we need to be mindful of. And when I, so I think I've been just very fortunate, but I want to, I know we're getting ready to close, but so this is an unknown that I had. So when I, um, so when I worked in the steel mill, I would work, you know, double shifts. I'd work holidays. I'd work weekends because these are people who had families. I'm 17. I'm 18. I'm 19. I'm 20. Um, and so I honestly, for a young girl at that time made a ton of money enough to buy a little car. And so when I graduated from college, I got in my little car in Kansas city and drove to Hartford, Connecticut. So that is Mm-hmm. I did know when I got there that I had an internship, but I didn't have a phone and I didn't have air conditioning and I didn't have a radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know where I was going all I Okay. So what I would never let my daughters do that. <laughs> right. Without Google maps. <laughs> no. Like, and some, especially like a in, phone. Especially in like, 2022. So like that is like, it's, it's the, crazy how much our threshold for, I'm going to call it risk tolerance, but there's other words we could use. Right. But our threshold for risk tolerance is with the, I mean, I can't say the invention of technology, but with the acceleration of the role that technology has deeply interwoven mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. into the fabric of society. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just quick story because it's really funny. So when I was 16 years old, I got the Nokia brick and had an orange case on it naturally. And my mom tells me I was going from Dickinson to Friendswood. It's about, I don't know, 10, 12 miles. She tells me to call her <laughs> at different intervals. And it's hilarious. It was at the stop sign at the end of our street, which is about a quarter of a mile. It was at the stop light, um, which is about three quarters of a mile. It was then entering onto the freeway, which is very dangerous. We would never suggest this today, which is <laughs> about a half a mile. And then it was at the next stop light, which is two miles. And then when I arrived, so... I called there four to five times within a 10 to 12 minute drive. And I should have been on the phone the entire time at all. I should have been driving very safely, but she was so nervous. How many check-ins between uh, Kansas city and Hartford? I think I did call it. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it was a payphone. And I think I probably would, they would say, well, call it not just so we know that you're still alive type type thing. Which is almost even scarier to get out of your car at this point and like go to a payphone. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. have kids even seen a quarter? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what is, what's a quarter? Yeah. What's a quarter? That's amazing. Um, but I, you know, I think it's managed unknowns. So managed unknowns are easier okay. to stomach. I love that. Then, yes. um, because well, and planning, planning plays such a role. That's one that thing. Was, there was a plan. I yeah. mean, there was a general plan. Yeah. I wasn't just like in the car driving around, didn't know where I was going to end up. See, and, and I think that's another factor of society. I was having this conversation with someone the other day and we were talking about like, oftentimes I think as creatures, because our brains are very primitive in their earliest years of formation, we enter into fight or flight. It's, you know, saber tooth tiger Mm -hmm. or someone's entering my tribe that I do not know and therefore they are a threat. And so our our brains are wired that way. We now exist in a society where things are very different. We We live in abundance comparatively to what we had when we didn't know if we were going to be able to find food sources, right? So things have changed a lot over thousands, if not millions of years. And we were talking about this idea of the role that planning plays in mitigating risk, not Mm. with the intention of always focus on de-risking, but with the intention of working toward a goal in a sound minded way rather than haste. And it came out of one of my meditations in hundred days to brave. And it, it was effectively like those who plan lead to abundance. Those who are hasty lead to scarcity. And it just really stuck with me because I've often lived by blind faith and serendipity and I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about my faith and that plays a huge role in my life. And so I kind of lean into that very heavily and I've seen really cool things happen from it. I've also seen planning work out really well also. And so as I'm maturing in life, Sky, my wife and I's motto is 
And so together we build the life that we love. And we see the we as like sky, me and God, kind of like in this like journey together. And I've just, I'm learning how to plan. It's kind of what I'm getting at. And I'm learning that by planning, you can get to really great outcomes. And I love how you said it. It's like controlled unknown, but by being intentional about it, like maybe you want to quit your job and do something else. doesn't mean you have to do it tomorrow, you know, play the long game, go the two to three years and plan accordingly and get your side hustle rocking so that you can enter into that next evolution rather than be in scarcity when it's in your control. And it's not always, but when it is. So that describes, I'd say the majority of the women inside she space, what you just said, like, mm. like to a taste of yay. That's amazing. So we like to close every episode here in season two with like a question to sort of like challenge the audience to kind of think about uh, a little bit uh, based on kind of the conversation, but we don't come into the conversation with that question. So we just kind of have to make it like up here what, at the end. The, yeah. like, what is question? kind of the next thing? And so um, I feel like there's some, I, I, I really liked this, this intersection of like precision and creativity and sort of like, being able to see that in sort of the bright light of day that like you can't just be like a, a fully loose, untethered creative and like have that have like real impact that like finding some semblance of structure and precision. And so I'm wondering if there's something sort of in and around that of like how to uh, how to better identify that in in our lives. I have some words that we can put around it. So I have a question. <laughs> to leave the audience with. Good. I think, yes and, okay? So as you were talking about your journey, what really just kept resounding in my brain is our earliest moments as young humans. And so what are the, the ingredients, the elements, the kind of factors that become interwoven in our humanity? It can be nature, it can be nurture, it can be all of the above. In this case, it was precision that played a really big role in your life. And so, and then, and that led to the convergence of creativity. So in that construct, I think that's one example. I kind of want to broaden the question a little bit though. Okay. And I think what I want the question to be is somewhere in the form of what are the moments from your youngest years that have influenced your journey and your lived experiences and are truly core to your identity as a human being. Does that feel right? Kind of what you've taken from like spend time think reaching back yeah. into your Pause earliest lived and experience. Yeah. And like like Rolodex back to the childhood. And you know, it, it could be some of the traumatic moments, but and and if that is, that's beautiful. But like maybe more some of the positive moments, because you know, we're our, our brains remember a lot of what went wrong, but sometimes we we forget really beautiful things that went right. And so like, you know, if you can go back to that time period and feel comfortable doing that, like what are some of those really interesting, exciting moments that like played a role? Can I add to that? Please, this yes. A, this is not a question, but this is um, an observation from having children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. I think it is our responsibility to make sure the younger generation gets the chance to have those moments. Yes. Oh, uh, I just got so chills. Let's, so let's make oh sure gosh. that they, when they're sitting here, they can look back and they will have a list of moments that influenced them, a list of things they can point to as thing. Yeah, this is where I started thinking. This is what this is what molded me. This is what let me do this. This is what I was allowed to do. So let's make sure. I mean, hopefully we all had moments. I'm sure we did in this room, but not everyone gets moments. Let's yeah. make sure that we provide those moments. It doesn't have to be your children. It can be your neighbors. It can be your children in your classroom. It can be children that you work with in a nonprofit. Nieces let's make nephews, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. make sure that we provide those moments. See, that's a great call to Now, we've yeah. just put a big, beautiful priority out in the universe mm -hmm. for us to advance collectively as a society, thanks to Stephanie Saru. Boom. Hey. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Thank you for listening. Join Brad and Scott next time on the Curiosity Podcast. Onward.
The Curiosity Podcast is hosted by Brad Rosacci and Sky Gale. The guests featured are on as individuals and are not on the show to represent an organization and no commercial relationship implied or otherwise as a result of their appearance. The views and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals and do not reflect the opinions or beliefs of any affiliated organization.